Shout Out is a registered charity and we work all across Ireland delivering workshops to young people. We deliver workshops in schools to teachers, to parents and guardians, youth workers and even workplaces because eventually you'll end up working there too and we want those to be inclusive spaces for you. For 10 years now, since 2012, we've been delivering workshops in secondary schools across the island of Ireland to tackle LGBTQ plus bullying. And we've done over 2,000 student workshops over the past eight school years, speaking directly to over 60,000 students. In Shoutout, we use our on-the-ground experience of speaking with young people to inform all of our training modules, which we also deliver to teachers, parents, guardians, social workers, youth workers and in workplaces. If you believe in inclusion through education and you want to learn more, book a workshop for your school or for staff and you can learn more at www.shoutout.ie. Hi, you're listening to Shout Out Listen In. Shout Out Listen In. Shout Out Listen In. Thought we gave Shout Out Listen In. Shout Out Listen In. In both our workshops and on this podcast, members of the LGBTQ community share their own personal stories, which can lead to open conversations about both the positive and the negative experiences of being LGBTQ. We are aware that these stories can be triggering for people at times. So please be gentle and cautious when listening and always reach out for help if you feel you need it. Hello and welcome to the next episode of Shout Out Listen In and indeed our first episode of 2023. My name is Lisa McEnrav and I am on the steering committee of Shout Out. My pronouns are she, her. You're so welcome back to our series for 2023 and I'm delighted to bring you the second part of a podcast you may have heard back in November in which we sat down with Addy Berry and Clara Barry from Intersex Ireland and in this part two of that episode we are going to continue our conversation with Clara and Addy about all things intersex. This episode focusing more on the joys and the developing sense of community between people who are intersex here in Ireland and lots, lots more. If you didn't have a chance to listen to part one of the discussion, don't worry, you don't need that in advance, but I would highly recommend listening back. We've discussed lots of the challenges facing people who are intersex in Ireland today and information if you want to engage with Intersex Ireland, a, a wonderful group growing and growing by the day and such an important asset to the community. So to reintroduce our guests, if you didn't have a chance to listen to part one of this episode. Addy Berry is Chair of Intersex Ireland and also a PhD researcher. She's looking at the experiences and needs of older intersex people across Europe with the INIA, a new international research network which was set up to train 10 early stage researchers to work collaboratively to develop knowledge and to inform policy and practice across a range of key sectors. You can read more about the INIA at intersexnew.co.uk. Secondly, Clara Barry, a very familiar face in the shout out world, one of our committee members, is also a committee member of Intersex Ireland and has been working in particular on outreach and awareness raising around intersex issues, mainly through a wonderful workshop she delivers called Intersex 101. And if you haven't heard of Intersex Ireland, where have you been? (laughs) It is a fantastic organisation and doing wonderful work. And they share stories and raise awareness of being intersex, among many other things. They speak up for adequate health care and visibility. They demand an end to medically unnecessary, irreversible and damaging surgeries performed on intersex people without their consent. And as I say, countless other crucial elements of their work that really, really support the community and society at large. So we are delighted to have Clara and Andy back. I'm a part of our community. We can all learn so much more about and support 
and be allies and so on. So thanks so much to Tara and Addy and to Intersex Ireland for working with us on this double episode podcast. Thanks to you for tuning in too. And don't forget if you have any ideas for this series, if you'd like to join us as yourself as a guest or share your own story or recommend a guest, don't hesitate to get in touch with us. Drop us an email at team at shoutout.ie or send us a message on any of our social media platforms. We would love to hear from you. and We'd love to hear your thoughts on the podcast series too. Before we start, to forewarn you all, this episode contains discussion on interphobia, intersex genital mutilation, violence against women and LGBTQIA plus people, and stigma of intersex and trans people. So please do, as always, listen with caution. So here it is, the second part of our conversation with the brilliant Addie Berry and Clara Barry from Intersex Ireland. So folks, I suppose as we move on with the discussion, in part one, we talked a lot about the challenges facing the intersex community in Ireland specifically um, today. I'm sure we could talk very differently about different countries, about different periods of time. But as well as that, I suppose there is, from the outside looking in, I'm seeing a lot of a sense of a building and a developing sense of community among intersex people. I'm seeing more and more information in places I think I, I didn't expect to see it. So I wonder if you could speak a bit to that and appreciating, as we spoke about earlier, Adi, that there may be challenges kind of as part of all of this too. Well, I, I could probably talk forever on that. Um, I don't know where you want to go first, Sarah, before I just spill. Sure. <laughs> I mean, there's always this positives to everything. And I guess the sort of throwaway or more humorous answer is like intersex people um, like our conditions give us certain um, advantages at times, much as they um, much as they can be a pain in the ass. Um, you know, if you look at a room full of intersex people or even a picture of a bunch of intersex people, we will all look younger than we are. <laughs> we tend to have really good skin and really good hair because we're not, you know, hormonal or <laughs> oily people <laughs> as a general rule. So there's positives of everything but um on a more serious note let's say I think the best part is easily just what you said there that we're getting better and better at like linking ourselves up um and community building so I mean the I, I could pick up my phone right now and text into at least two group chats that are filled with dozens of intersex people from all over, not just Europe, not just Ireland, but the world. Um, and I will get the answer to questions. I will get support. I know what's going on with our intersex comrades in other countries. And I'm sure, Adi, like you would say the same. I even think we're in a lot of the same <laughs> group chats. Um, so having that sense of like, okay, I'm not an alien. Um, there's actually tons and tons of people who understand out there is this really, really powerful thing. And then in a funny way, because I was I was thinking about this in preparation for this this podcast, like in a funny way, you can actually get more control or more autonomy of your body in some very specific ways 
um, with, with being intersex. So I was thinking, for example, that for me, um, I have Turner syndrome. So I needed to introduce medication in order to go through puberty. Um, so I went, I was able to choose, okay, I'm going to grow a little bit longer. I'm going to let have that that longer period of time before my growth plates close with puberty. Um, and also I got to go through puberty in my 20s. So I was much less of a, uh, <laughs> a polite word, searching for a polite word. Um, it's a better time less... in your life to be going through that kind of change. Yeah, <laughs> This is it, like what, going through, you know, the closest thing I did to puberty when I was in my early 20s, I kind of went, how do people go through this when they're 11 just emotionally so there are these weird there are these weird positives to it um you know as with anything as clara said there there is a thriving vibrant international community and it's really interesting because when you meet up with other intersex people like like Clara also said, a lot of the time we don't necessarily feel like we fit in in a lot of places. And this, it's a binary world and we're cast into it. And even when our identities are binary, our bodies may not be. Uh, so you're talking with somebody who maybe has Kleinfelter syndrome, for exact, for, for example, their, um, their identity may be cisgender or male, they may be heterosexual, but their body uh, may have traits that would be commonly associated with uh, somebody assigned a female sex at birth. So where their personality is uh, binary heterosexual male, their body is doing something different and they'll face bullying in school and things like that, a misunderstanding by doctors because the health system is a binary system. So when you meet up with an, an awful lot of intersex people from uh, from all over the world, it's it's strange. You suddenly fit, and there's a lot of common understanding. A lot of intersex people have uh, not just one variation. Some some intersex people have multiple variations at the same time. Uh, you may have um, overtestes, but then also hypospadias and so on and so forth. But you have this. Uh, you just kind of click. Um, and I'm not saying, of course, I'm not speaking for everyone. There's people who choose not to be part of the intersex community for whatever reason. There's people that relate to uh, a more medicalized understanding of their variation and they'll go with that. They may see themselves at odds with the intersex community. Nonetheless, there is a very vibrant and thriving and accepting uh, community of intersex people internationally. and. I am part of many communities, but I've found that that is the most accepting. And, I, and a lot of that's because of where we're coming from, but there are challenges to it. And the challenges lie with the medical system for people with Kleinfelter syndrome. Uh, okay, so with a lot of us, uh, we undergo surgery at birth to hide the traces of our variation. And a lot of intersex people that do know have been told by their medical provider that it, what they have is extremely rare and they'll never meet anyone like them ever again. And this comes up all through my interviews and comes up with people that I meet 
and they're told you'll go through life. So as a result, you've got people, for example, with a congenital adrenal hyperplasia, not finding other people like themselves until they're in their 40s. And then they just have make this connection, but that's been stolen from them. They could have had CAH friends in their childhood. Um, there's just this deafening silence that just hangs over all intersex medical treatment. And one of the things it does, I mean, because all of us, especially as you get older, my research looks at older intersex people, we become increasingly dependent on medical care. And a lot of distrust is built because we're prevaricated and we're lied to by the medical establishment, supposedly for our own benefit. But you've got all these intersex people who've been robbed of community. And when they find it, on one hand, we are overjoyed to find people we can relate to in this world that is not the most accepting. And we find people where we are accepted and we have so much in common and just it clicks over and over again, you hear that. Uh, so many people I've talked to describe the intersex community as just life-changing, just you suddenly fit. And there's so many people and so many conversations you just don't have to have because we 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 get it. Um, but then you've also got people like Feinfelters who are in a similar boat because they haven't been diagnosed. Um, in the UK, uh, Feinfelters Association, who I organized the national conference for them last year, um, they reckon that one in 600 children assigned male at birth uh, has Feinfelter syndrome. Almost no people with Klinefelter syndrome, however, are diagnosed because it's only diagnosed generally during fertility testing. And Klinefelter syndrome often comes at low fertility or low libido and things like that. So a lot of people aren't. And a lot of Klinefelter people are getting bullied out of school. You, you hit your teenage years, you start growing breasts. This all could be solved by testing for Klein. So while a lot of us suffer from over-medicalization, Kleinfelter people can suffer from the lack of medical attention and, and go through a lot of issues that are absolutely avoidable. And so you've got a lot of people that end up being pretty isolated um, and deprived of community that they, we could have had all along. So, uh, so both of those things are happening. A lot of people finding each other are absolutely overjoyed and it's a big thriving international community. On the other hand, the medical establishment plays a very large hand in depriving a lot of people who are particularly susceptible uh, to isolation, have particularly high rates of attempted suicide and so on and so forth. And they're depriving us of the community that we find life-saving. And one of the reasons they do it is because we get to compare notes. We get to get together and look at our common experiences. And that throws a bit of a spanner in the works because uh, it's a bit of a divide and conquer um, situation from their perspective and there's a lot of money in intersex surgery there's a lot of funding for hospitals mm. and so on and so forth so they have a vested interest in us not finding each other wow. but yeah. what if we are finding each other it's the age of social media people are talking um like that, what i think the major thing and i'm here like furiously nodding uh, for listeners um what i think like such a big takeaway of what you're saying there addy is like knowledge is so powerful for everyone but especially for intersex people both knowledge of you know that you have an intersex variation and knowledge of your medical history which are so often robbed of but also knowledge that that community is out there because doctors and medical professionals in a very general sense are so cautious of the word intersex like you say it's so pathologized like um 
you know, and it's so much more likely that someone that's going through this will find someone who is intersex than they will find someone who is openly talking about, oh, I have specifically Kleinfelters or specifically this or specifically that because, well, obviously because we're, you know, trained to be ashamed of it, but also because these are rare genetic disorders, um, in inverted commas, if you look at them as, you know, what, 30, 40 individual variations, if you put that together as an umbrella, that's nearly 2% of the population. That's a lot of people. And there's a lot of power and there's a lot of joy um, in finding in finding that community. So, yeah, I think community yeah. is definitely the biggest source of positivity and joy. Yeah. Wow. And so again, <laughs> similar to the first part of this podcast, you're blowing me away with things like, you know, the money that can be behind these things where there is an active sort of movement to keep you apart. And it's so terrible to hear because anyone in the queer community, I'm sure lots of our listeners know the importance of community better than anyone else. So I'm sorry to hear that, but I'm happy to see your budding sense of community despite all of that and kind of, you know, in contrast to all of that. Is it hard for those of you within the community specifically you know, I, I know that some people have different ideas, let's say, about their identity as intersex people. And, mm. you know, you mentioned the different variations and things like that, Clara. Do you, I, I'm sure they do, but with intersex people, is, is it hard to develop a cohesive sense of community amongst yourselves when people have, let's say, different ideas as to whether intersex is part of the LGBTQ plus community and things like that? Yeah. Do, do you find yeah. challenges in that too? The problem is this. <laughs> And this is where you can get into this, like you could talk about this alone for a week, but there's many different avenues where we run into roadblocks with this. So the first one Addie sort of mentioned, which is that there are plenty of people who have traits which would by the intersex community at large be considered intersex traits, but they may not identify with that term. They may um, feel more comfortable using that medicalized language. They may not take it on as an identity which is absolutely their right, um, but it's a barrier for them sometimes in finding community and it's a barrier for people in bringing them in. Um, then there's this sense of what is and what isn't intersex enough, um, in inverted commas. There's a whole um, debate sometimes that's around variations that are maybe less externally obvious um so say for example PCOS is PCOS is PCOS intersex enough and that question is is for an individual of PCOS to answer in in my personal opinion um I've, I've had people come up after doing like my intersex one-on-one workshops and that sort of thing and sort of describe what's going on with them in terms of their body and sort of ask me to to open the gates for them you know is this intersex is this not and I'm like <laughs> I'm not the gatekeeper here it's up to you Tell whether me. you take on that that term or not you know for me like for me, the key to remember is there are five different aspects 
of sex. It's it's an extremely varied thing. Um, and if, you know, um, a lot would obviously be your, your genitalia, your internal reproductive organs, your chromosomes, your secondary sexual characteristics, all of this quote unquote counts, you know? Um, I mean, I have, like most people that are intersex have variations that are only very obvious at the level of their chromosomes, you know? Um, so it's not about who is the most intersex or the least intersex. Um, uh, yeah, and it, it, that can definitely be a struggle. Also, um, not everybody is is that that's intersex is queer. There's a lot of straight mm -hmm. intersex people who don't necessarily want to be associated with it. And right now, as we're seeing, we're seeing the rise of the far right and trans people, for example, are very much in the crosshairs along with the rest of the LGBT everything. So people who have an intersex variation understandably wouldn't want to be a part of them, especially if they're not queer. Mm -hmm. um, but on the other hand, uh, it's always worth, I feel, reverse engineering what your enemy is doing. And there are there's quite a bit of medical writing out there um, where they're vehemently opposed to the association of intersex with LGBT anything. Because together, one... For example, the gay rights movement has been around a long time and we stand to benefit from joining up with other people who have similar struggles. Um, even if you're not transgender, uh, there's a lot of intersex people who are also transgender. Intersex and transgender are not the same thing, but there's a lot of intersex people who are assigned the wrong sex at birth and then um, underwent irreversible uh, surgery and hormonal procedures. So a lot of us end up uh, stuck in here, whether we like it or not. Um, so there we have, but we have a lot to learn from each other and we have power numbers and it makes sense for us to work together. For example, there's a lot of uh, disability and intersex overlap uh, it, and a lot of shared interests around autonomy and, and our, our needs and so on and so forth. Medical care, adequate medical care, da, 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 da. So it's very much in our interest to band together with other people that we can work with. And it's really clear that it's in our interest when you see renowned endocrinologists who've made careers off intersex people um, vocally opposed to it um, and speaking out about it. So um, again, it can be a bit contentious and some people do fall under the influence of uh, their medical providers and like, oh, those bad intersex trying to make, make it sound like everyone's queer and da, 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 da. And if you post basically anything on Twitter, you get mobbed by a small number of um, a medicalized intersex people who really object to the term intersex and uh, object to any association with LGBT anything, but they are a very small number of people they're the same people every single time and while they get to decide for themselves whether they want to be part of a community or not part of this community they don't get to decide for everyone else and the rest of us mm -hmm. find great benefit in working together to achieve mm -hmm. our goals rather than letting a small handful of endocrinologists and uh, urologists dictate our identities and uh, our lives
And it's so much worse than that adage you ever get. I'm sure you do all the time when you post on Twitter. It's not intersex people, but it's their parents. <laughs> or it's, you know, these type of, their doctors, that sort of thing that are saying, oh, you know, you're conflating this with this. Actually, no, like we're, the, the issues that intersex people face, like you're saying there, they're so intersectional. We should never be gatekeeping in our community because we do have common struggle with the trans community, the LGBTQ community more broadly, the disabled community, human rights defenders, children's rights defenders. There's so much opportunity to build there. Why are you, go, why are you picking apart? You know, why are you picking it apart? Because it's in their interests. I mean, so for example, my research is literally just, there is no disadvantage to more knowledge existing. And considering mm -hmm. it's 2023, there's a frighteningly there's frighteningly little information yeah. on how we come out. Like we're operating mm -hmm. on children on, on as children and it's set it and forget it and we're yeeted into the void. And like, oh, it, you're fine. And in the past, doctors would measure the success of a procedure by whether you were married or not. You may be mm -hmm. married, but having a horrible time. Um, having sex or maybe a horrible abusive relationship who knows but they're like ah oh, you're married it was a success they don't know that and there's no information so yeah. my research is there isn't an agenda my research is Ooh. literally just asking older intersex people how it's going what mm -hmm. are your experiences of service provision mm -hmm. um, what is your life like um, mm -hmm. And the thing is, I could have, everybody that I found, they could have responded back, everything's great. I'm so happy that I had this surgery. That's not what I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it's amazingly how consistent the responses are across variations. Yeah. Again, I haven't interviewed every single person over 50 in, in the entirety of Europe that's intersex. But a lot of the reason it's hard to find people is because of the stigma and the shame. And a lot of that, again, comes from the secrecy. And a lot of that's maintained by uh, by the surgeries and so on and so forth. Um, but as soon as I mentioned on Twitter, hey, I'm looking for participants. This is who I want to talk to. And I already had, a, I mean, a lot of people came forward that wanted their mm -hmm. stories old mm -hmm. um, and wanted to open up and wanted to speak and about things that they felt they'd been hiding for their entire lives um i got mobbed by again that small crew that's led by a, a doctor that is their trustee in a parent group they are the doctor. who isn't intersex <laughs> yeah yeah and you they they were like we we will shut your your research down we will get you fired. And, and they did attempt, they've mobbed um, uh, several projects in the mm -hmm. research cohort that I'm part of. But why do you not want those questions answered? Why don't you, why do you not want people who've struggled with this their entire lives to tell their story? Because a lot of people are like, this is the, my opportunity to, I've had my, my uh, ability to reproduce stolen from me uh th this is this is what i get to pass down so i'm talking to you because i want my story to exist in the world mm -hmm. and i think they should have a right to have that honored i'm willing to hear it they're willing to tell it but there That's is a, a crowd with ties to the medical establishment who tried to get me fired and my research shut down mm -hmm. because i wanted to listen and take their story and to and uh amplify it mm -hmm. 
Oh, I mean, there, there's a fear there, you know, and you're so hmm. right, Addy, and it goes for so many different areas of society at the moment. This divide and conquer that's happening to us, and you know, things like violence against women, uh, and this being kind of drawn up against people coming into our country and suddenly they're the problem even though violence has existed against women and queer people and all sorts of minorities in Ireland for such a long time we have to be so careful not to be allow ourselves to be divided and another issue I think as a community that you know the queer community and I can see with the intersex community you know our history mm-hmm. and our history what I think some people sometimes aren't aware of is that our history was hidden because people didn't want to pass these stories on other than ourselves. Um, so they weren't put in the history books. They weren't taught in schools. But, you know, my colleague Marka in Shoutout helped me out with this podcast and did some research. And he found a story going way back to the Philippines and the Tagalog people, I believe they're called. And there was an intersex person as part of that community. I'm sure there's a rich history there and this is something that goes back generations like everything else in the rainbow and every and so many other areas even women's history there's so much that's hidden could you talk to us a little bit about the history of intersex people and the intersex identity you know those uh i think everyone has seen um the pictures of the nazi book burning because you, you talked about the misogyny and the racism and all this stuff it's this is all different branches on exactly the same tree. When you look at a lot of the trans legislation, there was over a thousand pieces of anti-trans legislation put forward in the US last year. A lot of those pieces have explicit protections to preserve intersex surgeries. You'll hear on one hand, we don't want the children operated on, we don't want them sterilized, but there's provisions in there to continue to allow. Uh, surgeons to continue to do exactly what they're saying is happening to trans children to intersex kids and these are the same politicians that are that are attacking women's reproductive care um it's it's when when you take make a venn diagram of of the nazis the anti-intersex people the the, the anti-trans people and so on and so forth and the racists and everything else it, ten- it very often tends to be a circle yeah and um so one thing that we've all seen, I think, is the pictures of the Nazi book burnings. And I'm not sure that everybody knows what books were being burned. Uh, there was an institute in Berlin with the rise of the Nazis, and it was the biggest collected library of intersex and transgender literature. And that was what was being burnt. And back then, they went after intersex people and trans people at the very beginning because we fascism de- relies on borders between black and white, between male and female. And some people end up kind of in the middle of it. You know, if you're an intersex, regardless of what your identity is, your body will be um, like some of the people I talk to. They're like, I'm a straight man, but everything, everything, all my health care needs get met in what's basically what's uh thought of as the the women's part of the hospital so every time they go to get seen um they're getting dirty looks especially with the rise in anti-trans stuff and, mm-hmm. and they're very aware of this what are you doing here and you don't belong here and they're getting dirty looks and they're like but this is where i was sent this sucks you know so um those borders are very very important the divide and conquer is very very important to the right and um but yeah, there's a very rich history. A lot of the records of that were destroyed in those uh, Nazi book burning pictures. 
So um, there's still a lot of evidence. Uh, mm. of, I mean, there's intersex birds, plants, every damn species. We're the only people, the only species where we're supposed to believe that we um, are solidly binary. And mm. you'll see even in stuff from the Family Research Council, a big um, evangelical hate group in, in, that is very well funded and very influential in the right, brought out a five point plan a number of years ago to erase trans people. Mm. And you will see, and they have a little aside in there. Okay, intersex people, there's uh, some of them um, are uh, kind of messed up the whole binary thing, but there's there's not that many of them, so don't worry about it. So if 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 uh, a binary is made of ones and zeros, but there's a three in there, it's no longer a binary, even if there's one three. And it just doesn't exist. I'm interviewing people as part of my research that have XY chromosomes and a uterus, you know, and so on and so forth. It's uh, yeah. we muddy the waters for people who really need there to be a binary. This is why with our anti-trans legislation, they're fighting to preserve surgeries that really hurt intersex people and inflict upon intersex people the things that they claim mm -hmm. are happening to trans kids but aren't. So there's a very rich history that goes along back, but a lot of the evidence of it's being stolen from us, yeah. uh, but not all. No, not all. And I suppose if, if listeners are even us ourselves, I mean, I can't say that I know as much about intersex um, history um, as I would like to, or as much as I know about more broadly queer history, but people like Herculean Barbering come to mind. Um, unfortunate stories such as uh, Dr. John Money, um, hermaphrodites with attitudes who were one of the first US organizations um, would be one place to start if you wanted to learn a little bit about um, intersex history but it's extremely true to say it's it is very difficult to find um, information about us because <laughs> we're just not there or we're one line and thank god that only very very recently that's starting to turn around thanks to the likes of Adi and the cohort cohort that they're part of, which is called INEA, um, and then things like the intersex mapping project the DCU are doing. So, you know, big shout out to all of you who are doing that research, because if we can't pinpoint the problem for people, it's, you know, these people that don't experience our day-to-day -day lives and, you know, how are we ever going to show them, you know, this is the reality of, of what you're leaving us with. Well, absolutely. Yeah. And what about education? We spoke a little bit about this in part one and we talked about the importance of, I suppose, you know, medical professionals being more empowered with far more knowledge than they currently have. And I know there's lots more kind of to be done in that area as well as education, mm -hmm. as well as awareness. But what about education in schools, in any places of education, let's say institutions of education in Ireland? Is there anything happening? Is the intersex identity included in any area of curriculums that you're aware of? Or <laughs> is there so any been, move yeah. towards that? <laughs> it's been a few years since either of us were in school, but um, I suppose my two memories of of talking about intersex in the classroom. One of them, I was 17 in a biology class and we're doing the, the chapter on reproduction and a teacher is talking about XX chromosomes and XY chromosomes. And I'm awkwardly sitting there going, but that, I don't have either of those. Um, 
do I do I say something? Do I not say something? Is this is it going to make any sense to the teacher if I say that that's actually just plain not true? Um, that there is only these two options. Um, and the other was, um, so I studied Spanish at university, so it was a very common assignment to get a section of a text to translate as, you know, homework. And one week it was a, the task was to trans translate a section of the book Middlesex, which is an extremely controversial text in the intersex community because it's extremely outdated. And again, it put me in the same position of like, do I speak out and say this is offensive and outdated? Why are you not vetting your content? <laughs> I'm a little bit older I'm, at this stage. I'm a little bit more confident in in my activism and such, and I still didn't. And, you know, more recently I did some research with um, a fabulous shout out human, Bella, uh, Fitzpatrick um, again as part of the Mapping Intersex Lives project and we in our research found that on the Department of Education's website in the curriculum the word intersex is not mentioned you search on the website there's not one hit um, so that's kind of it's safe to say that in the you know it's near, nearly 10 years now since I left school that has not improved so that, that's where we're leaving intersex kids in the classroom. Not good enough. But I guess too, I mean, if you've got bishops right near sex head, uh, they're unlikely to include it. Uh, and, and it's something that comes up again and again in my research, that people were just, just a silence, you know? I mean, you're told as a child, go to the figures of authority, turn to your parents, turn, go to the teacher, go to the doctor and I'm hearing over and over again about how these people were failed, uh, failed by their parents, parents who never spoke to them about it. And then people are patching together their relationship with their parents years down the road and, and just before their parents die. I mean, my, my parents wouldn't speak about it. My mother's a nurse, I grew up in rural Galway, very Catholic environment. Um, it comes up quite a bit, just a, a the lack of awareness and the lack of information is everything. It comes up over and over again, people being referred to as a curse in their family. A little bit of education would really help. But also th these kids are growing up and this is what the this body's gonna do, this is what body what this body's gonna do. Kleinfelter syndrome isn't in there. So you've got child developing breasts when they hit puberty and, and these kids are getting bullied out of school. Um, the um, Roger Gorman put out a report not that long ago um, those highlighting the urgent need for research on this, and but it did indicate from what we do know um, that intersex kids experience much higher rates of depression, anxiety, even higher than trans kids, higher rates of attempted suicide, much higher rates of being bullied out of school. And that's pretty consistent with my research. And uh, there was a piece of research came out in 2020, and it's, it's such a good paper, and it looks at a very large sample of uh, intersex adults in the US. But one of the things we find over and over again is our experiences tend to be a little bit universal. Um, like my researchers look at people from all across Europe and the stories are not drastically different. It's 
But this research, uh, there's no reason to think the data isn't transferable, but uh, over one third, almost a third had attempted suicide. So that makes you wonder how many people never got to be part of that study because they succeeded in, in, in uh, committing suicide. I think generally in the general population, the percentage for attempted suicide is like 0.6% or something like that. So this is one third of the participants yeah. that survived, didn't succeed, had it had. And a lot of this, the thing that comes up over and over again is just the silence that everybody carries, the secrets. Um, participants who the first person to ever talk to them about um, their variation was some chance meeting with a medical provider when they're in their 20s. So that means they went through their childhood, their adolescence and all this with a body that was at odds with everybody else. A lot of um, kids uh, uh, being rejected by boys and girls because they don't physically, even if they, they're identity wise, they fit um, a binary, they have a binary identity, their body, their, their, their body is too masculine or too feminine and they find themselves rejected by both sides. And uh, a little education and awareness would make a mountain of difference. So one participant I talked to who had a drastically different story, um, spoke about how things were explained to their parents um, and their parents explained in school and uh, things were explained to their students in a way that was age appropriate. And that they, they don't talk about the same level of bullying. Um, and as we know, these are your foundational years or they're called foundational years for a reason. They set you up for the rest of your life we could really do a lot of good for intersex kids by providing them with information, providing the parents. Um, something that comes up again and again too is that the parents don't have any support. Doc intersex, uh, the medical providers are still not, the HSC is still not putting people in touch with intersex people going, here, here's some people you can talk to because Intersex Ireland exists now. There's a number of us you can talk to with different variations. And even if we don't have the same variation, we'll have some common experiences and we can talk to people. Like, I have a good life. I mean, it hasn't been easy. I don't have a relationship with my parents, with a lot of family members, but I have a good life. I have, I'm madly in love with the person I'm married to. I've been, mar I've been together with this person for 16 years. I'm a, a parent, and that's something that's been stolen from a lot of intersex people through uh, medical provision, but I'm very close to my children. Um, I love what I do for work. My life is good, and that's something that's possible, and a lot of intersex kids don't know this a lot of parents of intersex kids don't know that this is possible mm -hmm. and it's information that needs to be out there the lack of the same as in uh the misogyny and magdal in ireland which could be argued is still continuing in some regards the thing that allowed all of that to continue as long as it did is silence and secrecy and stigma and shame and that blanket is and and and, and that umbrella only benefits abusers Absolutely. Me too. Movement, everything else. As soon as you start shining light into the cracks, um, that that hurts the abusers and takes away opportunities from them. And that's what we need to do with intersex too, and get the information out there at an age appropriate level. Educate the teachers, and when you're doing that too, you're also educating future medical providers who who seem to know nothing currently. So if the doctors don't mm -hmm. know anything, which comes up over and over again, because it's very rare to, to meet a medical provider that knows anything about intersex. Um, because it's not covered in, in schools. If they started off as little kids who learned about this in school, they're gonna be a doctor who learned about this when they were little, and that's gonna provide, that's gonna um, 
produce a whole different type of medical provider that's actually capable of helping us, not just hurting us. Helps us help. I think the conversation around ORC is often relationships and sexuality education is often so sexualized. And we talk about this in shout outs so often. But what Addie's saying there is so like age appropriate information is so important because I mean, I left school as an intersex young person. I never learned that talk that you have when you're 11, 12, what's happening to my body, puberty, none of that related to me. Or I see around safe sex as a queer person, never related to me. I left school with no idea about how to um, engage with a romantic partner around my body confidently, around my intersex body confidently. Um, I had no idea what was going to happen in terms of my traits. You know, all of this information, the lack of all this information makes you so vulnerable just like Addie is saying. So to put teachers and medical providers who are educated into these positions is so important, but even more important and more urgent is to connect these people with people who have been there and, and know what's going on. Because I I wouldn't want someone who was my age when I was figuring all this out to have to do it on their own the way that I did and the way that so many people you know before us have have done so there's just there's a lot of work to be done there but there's also so much support and there's so much willingness because I think all intersex people want to just or almost all intersex people are so keen to just put our arms around each other and and help as much as we possibly can yeah yeah and you talk about you know like Addie talked so beautifully about your life and your happiness and the joy that you found and as you say there there were still challenges and this is something I think a lot of us in the queer community talk about in different to different degrees we still had a challenging time but what a lot not a lot of people I think have a grasp of sometimes is that the challenging times often come from the lack of awareness in society it's not me being bisexual it's not you being trans or intersex it's the lack of awareness in society that is usually what causes the the majority of the issues that we have to deal with some of it is biological some of it is physical some of it is emotional but a huge part of it is the world that we live in and as you say you know uh, the kid that you mentioned who had that more positive experience had a different um sort of sense of that and I think there was research done for uh, on the trans community recently and said the same thing it's it's the context it's the society it's not necessarily just the experience of us and our bodies as you said that guy guy Matt Walsh who's a notorious transphobe he put out a transphobe documentary it's just a good example of why (laughs) accurate knowledge is important and it needs to come from the source and from the people themselves he put out this documentary called What is a Woman that is hyped by the transphobes. Um, I think it was yesterday, the day before, he goes on Twitter and says, well, how come no trans women date each other then? I mean, like, you're that removed. Or like, are you kidding me? Trans women date each other all of the time, but you know so little about us. We've become, we've been allowed to become useful bogeymen to the right. But the more people who, and I, one of the things that I, I notice here in Huddersfield, like I live in, in, in the UK while I work on my PhD. 
but even with all this rhetoric, I think England's been through so many, and of course, I'm not talking for everybody, there's trans people here having a horrible time with the rise in rhetoric and, and bullying and everything. But um, I think there's less of it because English people are kind of over it. They, 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 there's enough people out that uh, people here have met a trans person. Mm -hmm. I live in a relatively small town, but you'll still see trans people pottering around. People are exposed to trans people and mm -hmm. we don't get to be the boogeyman in their minds that the far right would like us to be because mm -hmm. it's like, oh, you, you're not that threatening or, or, or even interesting. You know, you're just pottering about living your life and nobody cares. And it's one of those things, the, everybody's seen a red haired person. If you've seen a red haired person, you've seen an intersex person. If you've seen somebody with green eyes, you've seen an intersex person. There's as many intersex people, at least as there are people in Russia. So- mm. As you, many twins, which is an interesting one I learned recently. <laughs> I, I, uh, I mean, for example, years ago, um, I worked in, and I, and I wasn't particularly open about being intersex, but I worked in a, an office with two other people. I became particularly close with this um, person from Scotland. And uh, years later, we found each other again in intersex groups. And we're like, hey, what are you doing in here? You know, and I mean, mm -hmm. we're, we're everywhere and we do tend to click because a lot of us have similar experiences. And, uh, but, you know, we're out there and knowledge. Come find us. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. If you're looking for us, come find us. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Absolutely. And you're so approachable, I have to say. It, it just really feels yeah. that way that people can connect in and, and you're such an open, lovely community from the outside looking in and chatting to you and having the pleasure to sit down with you both for this podcast and two parts of it indeed. Yeah. Before we close off, Addy and Clara, I'd ask you both um what your sort of and you can take this one way or the other, what your sort of major hopes are for your community in the years ahead or what your calls to action are to government to society to people to the community themselves anything that you'd like to kind of close off with well i we don't really have a lot of choices so for example turfs can always go find another hobby um uh Endocrinologists and neurologists can always find other uses for their medical uh, qualifications. We're kind of stuck being this. We're stuck with particular medical requirements. We we are put where we are by society and the medical establishment that it has produced. We don't have the health care, the mental health care that we need. It's something that um, I very much intend to work on addressing after I'm done with my PhD, because I, I, I can't be one of those academics who just writes papers and sits there behind a paywall and advances my career. I want, I, I need to honor the people that are part of my research by actually doing something and making change. And we need that change. For example, it came out not that long ago that Ireland has what trans people have been saying in Ireland is literally the worst healthcare in Europe for trans people. Um, you. While again, not all intersex people are trans, and trans people are intersex, uh, you can use that as a guesstimate for how intersex care is going because there's less knowledge around that. Now, when we put in parliamentary questions as an organization, uh, the HSE responds back with what can only be described as science fiction. We're like, oh, when someone's intersex, we send them to the intersex center and they receive, they go in the intersex machine and get all the rest of everything. And it's literally just science fiction. 
and that there's a sense of entitlement in Ireland uh, that they don't realize the rest of the world moved on a little bit. Um, as far as the HSE and the, and the government, like for example, when they talked to the, uh, the the state talked to the UN last year, they said there's only three people born in inter that are intersex in Ireland, born every year like clockwork, and we only operate on the ones where it's necessary. The UN know that it's never necessary, and there's a lot more intersex kids being born in Ireland. I mean. How can you say how many Kleinfelter people are being uh, born in Ireland if you're not diagnosing them? It's ridiculous. We're not keeping counts for any of this stuff. It's nonsense. And the UN knows they're lying. The EU knows they're lying. Um, so we're in a place where we don't have the option of not succeeding. It's succeed or die. Uh, and, and, we, and we owe that to ourselves. And we owe it to future intersex kids. So we will be spending um, the... Uh, the, the future growing, uh, raising awareness and fighting and, and just working on changing Ireland to make it a more acceptable place for intersex people. And eventually the HSE will have to catch up the same as it became unpopular and unfashionable in Ireland to drag your children to the Magdalene laundries because they got, um, they magically got themselves pregnant out of wedlock all by themselves. Um, that became unpopular it'll become unpopular to be performing uh, the equivalent of FGM, which is illegal in Ireland, on mm -hmm. Irish intersex kids and so on and so forth. It'll become unpopular to not to, to not give us the care that we need. Mm -hmm. you know? So it'll become unpopular not to include us in some way, shape or form in your, in your curriculum. We have parents reaching out all the time and just that we're the only support there is. And so mm -hmm. we'll be setting up parent support groups and with the help of parents of six kids and continuing to grow and because we honestly don't have a choice yeah i mean it's so true uh, intersex people are our own we have to act as our own and each other's advocates doctors therapists and i hope that one day we'll get to a stage where that that doesn't have to be the case because there is that knowledge in these communities um and just that one day the the young intersex person who's leaving who's leaving school and is going out into the world for the first time is armed with all of that information and all of that community so that's really if i could wave a magic wand <laughs> that's where i think that's where i think i'd be aiming it Right. Clara, Addy, thank you so much for sitting down once again to shadow us in the second part of this podcast. That brings us to the end of this episode, folks, the second part of a conversation on Shout Out Listen In with Addy Berry and Clara Barry from Intersex Ireland. If you missed it, we did a first part of this episode back in November and you'll find that on our Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and indeed on our website shoutout.ie I'd highly recommend listening back in the first part of the episode we discussed lots of the challenges facing the community and what can be done to support intersex people in Ireland we are so grateful to Addie and Clara for joining us and to Intersex Ireland for all of their work 
Be sure to follow them across social media and support in any way you can. Or you can find out more on their website at intersexireland.org. As always, we greatly appreciate your help in, in helping us to develop this series. Shout out, listen in, shout out's podcast series, looking at education, awareness and much, much more in the LGBTQ plus community in Ireland. Please do give us a like wherever you get your podcasts, share with friends who may be interested and continue to shout out, listen in. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Shout Out, Listen In. And we hope that you will continue to join us on this new venture by tuning in to our upcoming episodes. Massive thank you to Elaine May for her uplifting music contribution, Tall Tales Podcasts for their support in producing this podcast, and a huge thank you to all the Shout Out volunteers, guests, and contributors who helped bring this podcast to all major podcast platforms and who continue to inspire and educate in schools across the country. If you would like to request a workshop, donate, become a volunteer, or find out more information about Shoutout, head over to shoutout.ie. We would be so grateful if you could take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe. It will help us bring you more episodes of Shoutout Listen In.